0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pensapolitics, Mr. Watson. I am your host, as always, forever and eternally, Christian Watson. It is so good to be with you guys today. I am in a very good mood. I am in—today's a good day. I mean, I know the tenor and the tone of my previous show was not necessarily upbeat. It was not necessarily jovial. I was not like Liberace, just playing along uh, gleefully. <laughs> uh, but this is— Pensive politics. My school wrote this about me. Pensive politics is an experiment in the philosophy of politics. It's also an experiment in how human I can be as a political commentator, as a political figure. It's not about what biases of yours I can confirm. It's not about what positions I can confirm. Pensive politics is about is about how the human can interact with the political and the personal and the political and. How we can really begin to take the wool off of our eyes and really see what we are, because politics can show us a lot about ourselves. It's unfortunate that it can. That was never its station. That was never its license. That was never its purpose. That was never its original domain. But it has met, it has morphed into something that it has made it that so. It's given us a prism by which we can view the interactions of our human being. And tie those to our nature and our purpose in life. So when I say, look, I'm suffering, I'm in pain, I'm hurting. What I mean to say is that I'm a human being. But of course, I am submissive to God and God above all. And you might ask what God? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jesus Christ. And again, this is not a religious show. This is not a religious show. But I want my viewers to know where I stand. You can be whatever belief you want to be. You can have whatever predisposition that you want to have. I, I love you all the same. I believe we are one human family. We are one brotherhood of man and woman. Really, man is man suffices to cover women as well. You know, a lot of leftists are saying, no, if you say man, you're excluding women. No, no, no. The original English actually means woman as well. <laughs> But anyway, that's why Justin Trudeau had the audacity to say, oh, I'm for humankind, not mankind, people kind. (laughs) Man means woman as well. (laughs) Anyway, I am just gratified and proud and happy to be here with all of you. Because truly, my friends, we're all in this thing together. No matter our pains, no matter our religious beliefs, no matter our sexual um, dispositions, no matter our, our ethnicities, no matter our color, no matter what, no matter our gender identities, no matter, we're all in this dream together. We're all in this thing together. We are all fundamentally individuals. We are all fundamentally human. And we have a natural freedom which bursts through our veins and animates our actions, comes out through our mouths as fire, and implements every single intention and will that we desire onto reality for good or bad. But I'm here to teach you how to use your natural power as a human being for good. How to create a new political reality for good. What is good, Christian? Good is anything that propagates. The preservation of rights... And the recognition of the individual as the primary unit of any society. As a primary unit of reality. But anyway, we're going to get to a few topics today. Um, The Georgia election. Now, as for those of you who know or may not know, I live in Georgia. And I have been... I (laughs) I have been... I have been flagrantly subjected... To the politicking and the rhetorical manipulation and the, the streamlined surface level argumentation that has come out of the campaigns of these Georgia special election, which will take place in a few weeks here, the campaigns of Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff, and the campaigns of Perdue and Leffler. Don't think I'm going to let them off the hook. Trust me. Don't think I'm going to do that. Ever since this the. The runoff happened. Leffler and Collins, no, not Collins. Co- Collins beat Leffler. Leffler and Purdue and Ossoff and, and Warnock, they have been at each other's throats, obviously. And donors have just been pouring billions upon billions of dollars in these elections, because guess what? These elections could determine the constitution of the United States Senate. So naturally, they seem quite important. Naturally, <clears throat> but I'm here to tell you something, guys. I'm here to tell you that a lot of these circumstances that follow all this shit. Excuse my language. (laughs) Oh, God. A lot of the circumstances that follow all this stuff. Excuse my language. I'm getting a bit animated right now. Are really binding us to a position of no return. They're really binding us to a position that we don't need to be in as Americans or individuals. They're really telling us a false story. And my job is to give you the tools to recognize false stories and to rid yourself of them. So we'll talk about that. Um, The coronavirus is waning. Well, okay, it's not waning in terms of the numbers, but there is a vaccine on the horizon. There is hope on the horizon, although I've always had hope about this. And if you can listen to my earlier monologues to see that, I've always had hope about this. But I am afraid that once this is all over, bad things will remain. Those bad things are going to be the crippling fear, the paternalism, the nannying. All of that is still going to remain. Is all going to remain under two categories, under the category of individuals who are supposed to be concerned about their health, but they take that their health concerns to mean the health concerns of everyone, because again, we're all this one communitarian society, right? (laughs) And then on a governmental level, where the Department of Health and other entities will continue to use the notion of public health as a means to institute. And instill a certain kind of obedience, a certain kind of action into the American mind, into the individual minds of all of Americans. we got to stop that. And also, the last topic will be martial law. So Michael Flynn retweeted something from a group that is advocating for the suspension, the limited suspension of the Constitution and the immediate usurpation of the election system. By military personnel, by the president, to issue a national recount of the vote. Now, regardless of what you think about this election, regardless of what you think about this president, regardless of what you think about Dominion or whatever other theories or ideas you have, if you claim to be an individualist, if you claim to care about American society, and its foundations, if you claim to care about natural freedom, if you claim to care about human flourishing, if you claim to care about the rules that bind us together, the natural law, and you support this stuff, you are living in falsehood. You are living in falsehood, and I'm going to explain that to you on this episode of Pets Politics with Mr. Watson. All right, guys. The Georgia elections. One moment. So I mentioned this as well on, a, on an interview I did. A lot of marketing and campaigning was done in the following days up to the Georgia run, um not runoff, the Georgia um, elections in, in November. A remarkable amount was done by primarily leftist groups. They had a big bus pull into my campus saying, please vote. I was listening to iHeartRadio, because, you know, sometimes I listen to iHeartRadio, not too much, <laughs> although Pensapotics will be on their platform very soon. I was listening, to it and they're like, please, it's so important to the history of this country more than ever to vote. And, of course, the everyone, including conservative pundits, were saying, please vote. You have to vote. You got to vote. Please vote. So there was this sort of ubiquitous sense of the political universe that if you didn't vote, something was terribly wrong with you. That if you didn't vote, you are not fulfilling the desire of the seat of American Republic, or democracy, as they would say. it. If you didn't vote, X, Y, Z bad things would happen. So, I'm not here to tell you not to vote, or that you shouldn't have voted. I'm here to tell you that a lot of that was political gaslighting, especially from the left, to push you into voting for their candidate. Oh yes, so when they say please vote... When these leftist organizations, like the New Georgia Project, which actually is attributed with the victory of Joe Biden in Georgia, um, because Joe Biden's victory in Georgia came from like 90% of African-American youth, uh, African-American women, like like college-age women and college-age men, according to Time Magazine, and that demographic had not voted as much as they had voted this time. But all these get-out-the-vote campaigns came with an implicit demand, get-out-the-vote and vote for progressives. I promise you, when a leftist pundit or a leftist organization says get out the vote, they don't mean vote for Trump. When a conservative pundit says get out the vote, they don't mean vote for Biden or, or Kamala Harris. What they are implicitly saying, they are they are counting on you to buy your listenership, understand the implicit demand they are giving you, so that you can interact, you can enact that into your being. And take that into the voting booth and apply it that way. If you're listening to Rachel Maddow, you're not likely to be a right-leaning person, are you? Uh, similarly, if you're listening to Glenn Beck, you're not likely to be a left-leaning person. Now, there are, of course, there are anomalies. There are people who are open-minded. And that's great. I mean, I, I listen to Maddow sometimes. I listen to Beck much more, but I listen to Maddow sometimes. <laughs> but still, they are expecting their listenership to take what they already know and vote that way as opposed to voting any other way that they might have in their head. They're banking on you being ideologically understanding. So this, the entire Georgia election before the runoff was predicated upon this understanding that if we get young people out to vote, they will vote Democrat. They will vote progressive. Well, I didn't bite. I didn't bite. I never would either. Because there is this pretension among people that the constitution of the United States government, of its two legislative houses, is more important, more consequential than the constitution of your heart, of your individual community, of your ability to impact the world. I'm not joking. There's this notion that that is. Seriously. When Mark Cuban said, hey guys, I would rather you donate to a charity than vote in the Georgia election. He was raked over the coals for that. He was attacked, obliterated. Everything about that was anathema to the agenda that is being pushed by these left-wing oligarchs. By these condescending, pretentious, presumptuous individuals. And, of course, leftist celebrities just absolutely attacked him. And, you know, Joe Carey, who is also on the Fed by Ravens Network, which, which is where my show airs half the time, most of the time, he mentioned this as well. He said that if, you know, if you think it is a moral crime to exhort people to do a charitable act rather than a political deed, there you have a poverty of values. I agree, you have a poverty of values, you think that. That doesn't diminish the importance of the Georgia Senate seat, seats, plural, but it does diminish the importance of us having an existence outside of politics. This Georgia election really shows that most people believe their existence is is predicated upon politics. Everyone is saying, oh, if Donald Trump does not keep the Senate or if Republicans don't keep the Senate, um, we're going to be destroyed. The country will go down the drain. Really? This is a nation that has survived, let me, I'm not even going to be holistic in this list. We have survived a civil war, which nearly tore us asunder. We have survived several panics throughout the late 1800s. We have survived a Great Depression. We have survived a crippling progressive era, which was not only fundamentally racist towards black folks. It was also fundamentally anathema to the human individual spirit, because everything became federal, federalized and federally controlled. Everything. National parks. You know, public lands, all these paganistic, false assumptions about things became in vogue. We survived a New Deal, which created a flowering welfare state and drained our economy of its greatest greatest juice. We survived World War II, which literally saw the nationalization of most businesses in the country and the rationing of most resources to the government's will. We survived a civil rights era in which Jim Crow, literacy tests and all kinds of things and beatings of black folks and beatings of anyone who disagreed with the Klan or a racist were in vogue. We survived a Cold War in which we were on the brink of nuclear holocaust. We survived... (laughs) And you're going to tell me that America's state is predicated upon the Constitution of a single legislative body. Are you really going to tell me that? Well, Christian, this is a unique election. Really? Really? I guess if you look at this in the lens of the past 20 years, maybe it is unique. Went from the soft, static politics of Bush, where, you know, Cheney was running running the show, than the hopeful optimism of Obama, to the raucous, system-changing politics of Trump. So sure, I'll, I'll give you that. This is a unique period in the past 20 years. Look at the past 200-plus years of American history. This is not unique. The Federalists thought that if the Republicans seized the level of power, the Constitution would go away. Why do you think the Alien and Sedition Acts was such a powerful force? They wanted to maintain their hold on power, the Federalists did, and they were willing to do whatever they needed to do to ensure that. And yet, we survived that. We have America has survived so much terror and authoritarianism that for you to think this country is going to go away if Purdue or Leffler did not win is for you to endeavor in a falsehood, live in a fantasy, and for you not to give America enough credit for the history of its prolonging throughout the past 200 plus years. Look, elections are important, but they're not existentially important. Yes, if Purdue and Leffler lose, you will see a lot of Gener- not not generous a lot of ambitious policies get pushed forward by progressives but that is counting on the Democratic Party to be a monolith you already have individuals like Joe Manchin who could literally stop anything like that in his tracks who have said this country will never become a socialist country you already have individuals like that in the Democratic Party. There are also moderates in the party as well. Not many. The party has gone leftward, has taken a leftward shift. My point is this. Even if the worst were to happen and the progressives were to control the Senate, I promise you, America would live to see another day. Another day. You would. It would not be cataclysmic. It would not be catastrophic. It would be uncomfortable. We'd have to fight a little bit more for our rights. For our freedoms, for our individualism, but a great majority of the country is still painted in right red. and right wet right, red. Republican red. So why are you guys concerned about who occupies the Senate? If this was a supermajority that could literally just run anything down, okay, I would agree with you. Yeah, sure. But even if This legislative body, composed of progressives, were to push forward a reckless policy, you know what could happen? Do you know what could happen? I'll tell you exactly what happened. Trump has nominated over a hundred judicial court people, higher court, upper courts, all that kind of stuff. Most of them, actually, all of them, from the Federalist Society. Most of them, or all of them, constitutionalists. So wouldn't it make sense to you that if an unconstitutional policy, a policy that violates America's rights, were pushed through the Senate, wouldn't it make sense to you that we could then go take it to the courts and ask them to exercise their lawful authority of judicial review? What do you think progressives have been doing over the past four years Quite literally, the Attorney General of Washington and New York, before he was (laughs) disharmoniously removed from office for the scandal, were leading a legal resistance against Donald Trump. But their resistance was predicated upon illegitimate impact litigation, which seeks to legislate key matters from the bench. Judicial review when used property, properly, will not legislate from the bench. It will defend the Constitution. It will defend the text. It will defend the context. So why in the world are you concerned? I'll tell you why you're concerned. Because you have been fed a bunch of lies. You have been put before the altar of political worship. And that's all you know. That's all you know, because you think politics is this consequential, indisputable, inherent fact of our lives so much that your fate, your family, rests in the government's hands, not in your hands. I'm here to tell you, that's nonsense. You have power. Whether Leffler or Purdue get into power, it doesn't matter. You're the one who can carve this path out for yourself. You are the only one who can do it for yourself and your family. Don't expect the government to come in and help you. Don't expect a conservative majority in either House or the courts to help you. You can do it. You, you, you. People must understand that. You must. Because if you don't, then I'm afraid your existence will will be predicated upon the cycle of American politics. Every two or four years, your existence will either be affirmed or either be cast down. Affirmed or cast down on the basis of a bunch of people who vote. On the basis of the false idea of democracy. And guess what? I happen to think, (laughs) beloved, that your existence is greater than the ballot box. Now, I'll be quite frank with you. I don't really vote When I am moved to vote, when a candidate moves me, when a candidate, like, moves me by their principal convictions, I'll do it. (laughs) But in all all honesty, I don't really vote. Because I don't want to be caught in the, between, in, in the void, in the limbo of lesser of two evils. That's not how I think. Evil is evil is evil. Evil is evil is evil. I'm not going to pick an evil that comes out and tells me he's evil, nor am I going to pick an evil that subtly implants evil actions and evil deeds into society. Evil is evil is evil. Period. But, if there is a candidate who believes in liberty, who loves this country, who loves our founding, who loves individualism, who loves human freedom, who believes in the right to life, I will 100% support them. But if you want me to support someone who's going to break my back with the state of government force, no matter how light or how heavy that stick is, well, you got nothing coming. You got another thing coming. It's not going to happen. I don't have a civic duty to vote. I have a duty, a moral duty, I have a moral duty to be as principally honest as possible. Think on that, okay? All right, guys. Time to run. Remember, subscribe. Pensate Politics, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all other places. Christian Watson, YouTube. As always, I love you. We'll be back after this break. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. We're here once more to be with you today on this episode of Pensapodics, Mr. Watson. All right, guys. So I mentioned earlier today that I would be talking about the public health thing, the coronavirus thing. So Moderna and Pfizer, they are both coveting uh, emergency uh, authorization from the FDA um, to get their vaccines out in the next few weeks. Um, The estimates right now say that they can have about 40 million plus vaccines um, out by the end of the year, 40 million doses or whatever. And that by February, over 100 million doses or 100 million vaccines could be re- released and delivered to the American people. And so we have a sense of hope that we're stepping into. Because, you know, we step into these things, people. You don't create hope necessarily. It exists. You realize it and you step into it. And you enshrine that onto yourself. So we have this state of hope that we step into. And when we do, something special happens. We begin to see clearer. Because throughout the duration of this entire pandemic business, Americans have not been able to see clearly. And that has been stunting our ability to be the imaginative individuals that we are, to be the creative individuals that we are. We have got to see clearly. We have got to. Because if we don't, then we'll always be forever in a rut. I don't believe in the idea, the sort of New Age idea that if you think it, it happens. Sort of law of affirmation, the law of attraction. I don't believe in that. We don't have that kind of metaphysical power of the universe. But I do believe that if you think positively, you can proceed to act in a more productive and positive way. It's a matter of efficiency, almost. I think. So I don't think that If we just begin thinking positively, you'll be able to think COVID away. No, I mean, people, mystics and sages throughout the world have been trying to do that for the, since February. They've been trying to think COVID away or whatever. No, no, no. Prayer can help. It can help us build ourselves up. And I believe prayer works, but I, I don't think that you can just think away a virus. That's not how, that's not how the world works. That's not how reality works. That's not how the laws of reality dictate it to work. But I do think that Americans have been thinking themselves into a state of perpetual fear. And that has been hurting us more than the virus has. Look, I lost my grandmother due to COVID. I understand the need to be careful. I understand the need to check off your your health and your family. I understand the need to protect the vulnerable. I understand the need to do all these things. I get it. I understand it 100%. But what I do not understand is how you can let fear grapple you and grip you so much that you are willing to secede all of your rights away to be protected from an invisible enemy. COVID is much unlike any other thing we have faced in American history, well, in recent American history. It's invisible, it's contagious. We can't necessarily fight it like we could fight a human being or we could fight an army or a ship or whatever. But we can fight it up here in our minds. You know, when the assault against Thanksgiving happened, I was just astounded. We should always give thanks. Every day, not just on one day of the year in, in the fall, but every day. But the fact that you don't even want to have an occasion to give thanks for anything, you're shrouding yourself in the darkness of despair, of, 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 of pessimism. <laughs> you can give thanks over our phone call as well. But when you begin to say that Thanksgiving is just too dangerous to have, You're just not. You're not doing what you need to do in times of crisis. (laughs) You're not. And a lot of the the fear that has been stoked has been stoked by the experts. So, for example, I wrote a piece in the Marian West, which is a very good publication. I encourage all of you to read that piece. about Van Morrison. It's called Van Morrison's Dangerous Songs. And the thesis of that piece was Van Morrison has been labeled dangerous by the Irish public health minister because his songs protest the lockdowns and the lockdowns of viewed as sacrosanct. Therefore, he's actually doing it as a service. He's being virtuous. To be called dangerous when you're talking about rights and defending rights is to be virtuous. As Locke said, adherence to the laws of nature is the highest virtue. Oh, Yes. And I have people comment on that article and say, oh no, he's terrible, he's dangerous, you're promoting people to die. No, I'm not. I'm promoting people to make their own decisions, to live in accordance with the laws of nature, with their freedom. But public health has told us, no, what a bunch of people in a room, in in lab coats or not lab coats, a bunch of technocrats, a bunch of, a bunch of, people that sit around a table and measure the world by graphs and charts and data and numbers and facts and figures and not actual actual human people, not actual human interactions, but it's a bunch of static metrics that we think that we can divine something into our human being. A bunch of those people just come around and say, hey, we think this is going to work. Let's do it. There are governments who are willing to acquiesce to the detriment of our rights. There are governments who are willing to acquiesce that at the detriment of our rights. Shutting down everything. Boris Johnson did it a few weeks ago in, in England. He first, in February, shut down everything. and opened back up. And now, they're shut down again. Obviously, the shutdowns didn't have much of an effect in the first place. To stall the virus permanently. It did for a little bit. But when they opened back up, okay, things happened again. So what's the solution? Well, stop the virus even more by shutting down again. Why? If, you, if your action has only been showed to delay the transmission of the virus and not actually nip it in the bud, then you're basically giving us a placebo. You're stopping the inevitable. How about instead of shutting us all down, you allow us to make healthy decisions on our own account. There are some people who will not go outside. I know people who are still quarantined. And for them, they're older, that might be a smart decision. But I also know people who've gotten the virus already, who've taken the precautions, but who have to work because they don't have a choice. The government's not coming to help them. No one's coming to see them but themselves. So what is their solution to you? Then you have the rent eviction crisis, which stimulus really didn't do much about in America. All of these actions are happening under the auspices of public health. But the problem with public health, as, all, as a problem with all collective terms, is that it only accounts for the perceived health of the people Based upon numbers. Not their moral health, not their spiritual health, or not even their financial health. Public health is stunted by its single-mindedness. And by its presumptuous nature. The health of one is, of course, the health of many. Yes, coronavirus can spread, it can affect a lot of people, yes, but still. People interact with it differently. There there are laws to this universe, people, that bind us to certain realities. A 88-year-old person with a lot of health conditions is going to have a different experience with COVID than a 19-year-old who is fit, healthy, and rock-ribbed. It's just a fact. But the idea of public health says no, We're going to treat the threat level as equal to everyone, and we're going to impose roving, generalized lockdowns and impositions of what we, in our towers, in our, you know, chart grain, coarse grain chart world, have decided will work for the real world. This also shows the folly of stats all the time. Stats can only show you a picture, a snapshot of something at a particular time. It's better to have, of course, a lot of stats going throughout years so you can establish some generalized trends. Sure, that's fine. But when you have a novel virus and it is moving so fast you don't know anything about it, you have like a few studies that you're going off of, and you're jumping the gun. Oh my goodness. That's irresponsible. But it's also, it's a violation of rights as well. And it's never okay to violate rights even if you're doing so responsibly. My God. My God. It's a a tragedy, an absolute tragedy, that we have bowed down to the masters of public public health. And we're pretending as if health is not an individual quality and is not something within the domain of our control. Perhaps you have a genetic factor that might take your health out of your control a little bit. But you can still moderate genetic factors through other healthy things. Even that does not deprive you of your control, beloved. You have free will. But people are forgetting that. All because they want to be little consequentialists. Oh, well, if I do this, this will happen. And that's bad. And that's... No, 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 no. There are principles that govern human conduct. Consequences should not be worshipped. Principles should be adhered to. But we don't get that these days. Oh, how could you say that? How how dare you? do you want to get rid of wealth, for your, you hurt the poor and for your evil. I mean, do you think that it's okay to rob me to help someone else? To take my money? Forcefully? When I have a family to feed? Or, I have or something like that? Do you think that's okay? Well, it's, it's, for, it's for the greater, 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 greater good. No, it's not. What, what greater good? What greater good? That's an unquantifiable term that none of us have access to. Because human desire is fickle. It is fickle as all you know what. But we're going to continue to enslave ourselves to consequences, to conceptual terms, and never consider the big picture. And that will be our downfall. Don't do that. And, speaking of consequences and enslavement, there is now a contingent of people on the right calling for the suspension of American electoral systems and also calling for the imposition of martial law and the suspension of the Constitution, temporarily albeit, so there can be a national recount. Michael Flynn, General Michael Flynn, retreated this the other day. They're calling for this. I will read from the Business Insider article a little bit. Business Insider said, and this is a, the article is titled, Trump's former national security advisor shared a message with asking the president to suspend the Constitution, impose martial law, and hold a new election. And so, f- Peter... Salwinsky. Tom, Tom who was the president of the Ohio activist group called We the People Convention, WTPC acronym. In an advertisement, he asked Trump to exercise the extraordinary powers of his office and declare limited martial law to temporarily suspend the Constitution and civilian control of these federal elections in order to have the military implement a national revote that reflects the true will of the people. That alone should scare you. Look, I don't care what you think about the election. This is not a commentary about Dominion or the election. I'm staying out of that, man. Look, I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know. Don't don't, don't come to my comments or email me saying, Christian, you sold out. You're, you're on the left now. I don't, I don't. Look, first of all, if you think that, I don't care. Don't listen to me. I love liberty. I love life. I love God. I love freedom. I love America. I am very much not a leftist. But if you think that me not wanting to touch a very touchy subject that is developing every single day is evidence of me being on the left, then my God, stop listening to me. Please, just don't listen to me. Please, don't. But if you're willing to be open-minded about this, let's talk about this. Regardless of what you think about this election, it is Never okay. Never okay even if the election was a total fraud, which I'm not convinced of, but even if it was, it is never okay to suspend rights to get a desirable consequence. There are people from the Tea Party movement talking about suspending the Constitution temporarily. The Tea Party, which back in 2010 fought against such excesses. The Tea Party was the bulwark against the Obama dictator machine which just continually hammered the rights of Americans into the ground with the obtrusive individual mandate, which forced me against my will to buy an exchange I didn't want to buy. Or else face a fine, a big fine, like a cripple poor and low income, income families. Or the investments in Solyndra and Silver Trust, which repropriated my tax dollars to go forward to funding ventures and try to dictate to the market what they'll do. Of course, those companies fell. The Tea Party said no more, no more, no more. They said no more we're going to fight against this. But now you have some people in the Tea Party, which is not how it was back, back a few years ago, saying, "Yes, let's, exp- let's let's suspend the constitution, let's suspend rights so we can fix the election issue." Even if there is a total fraud going on, that's not okay. It's never okay to suspend rights for convenience. And how anyone who proclaims to be for liberty. How anyone who proclaims to be for natural law. How anyone who proclaims to be for natural freedom. How anyone who proclaims to be for individualism. Can sit there. And support this. You're a liar. You are an absolute liar. Fine. Support inquiries. Support lawsuits. Support discovery. I'm fine with that. Good. Yes. Because I want the system to work well. I want the system to be rather blemishless even if not totally i want the system to do what it is meant to do absolutely 100 percent. yes sure do all that kind of stuff but when you begin threatening the constitution which is the biggest and most vivacious defender of our rights so that you can get a political outcome that you desire you don't care about liberty you don't care about america you don't care about anything except this false idea of totalitarianism by the masses and this is not hyperbole. Look at what Zawatowski said. He said that he is calling for Trump to exercise the extraordinary powers of his office and declare limited martial law to temporarily suspend the Constitution and civilian control of these federal elections in order to have the military implement a national reform. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. That reflects the true will of the people. So he's suggesting it in this diatribe that the will of the people is greater than your rights. This is democracy nonsense. This is what Socrates ran from. This is what the founders ran from. This is what every single person who cared about liberty, who founded this nation, ran from. The will of the people is not always correct. The will of the people can be morally bankrupt. It was the will of the people in South Carolina after the Civil War to terrorize black folks and to solicit the Ku Klux Klan. It was the will of the people in a certain segment to have universal health care and force it on into all of us. It was the will of the people I mean, God, do I have to go on? It's a fundamentally unsound concept. Will of the the assent of the masses does not confer moral righteousness, does not confer moral or ethical correctness. I don't care about the will of the people. I care about what our rights say. I care about what God says. I care about what our Constitution says. That's what I care about. And guess what? I think conservatives care about the same thing as well. Because I consider myself conservative leading on many issues. As you guys know, this is not a secret. But when I hear these people who claim to do the same thing talk about the will of the people, the dictatorship of the masses, it's obvious what they're saying. We don't care about rights of the Constitution. We care about doing what we want to do. That's what what matters these days, right? 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 Wrong. Wrong. R-O-W-R-O-N-G. Wrong. Wrong. As Trump would say. (laughs) Wrong. Wrong. I don't care about the will of the people. If the will of the people does not cohere with the preservation of my rights, to hell with them. Mm -hmm. You heard me. If all the people want to take my guns away, to hell with them. If all the people want to rob me of my property, you know what? If all the people want to take my money that I rightfully earn and use it for socialized medicine, or or anything for that matter, it doesn't matter. I don't care. Get, Get out of my face. We conflate popularity with moral correctness. And we endeavor in a faucet when we do so. Listen, I understand that there is anger about the elections. Many of my listeners have anger. I understand it. I get it entirely. That's fine. I don't mind you having anger. I don't mind you filing lawsuits. I don't mind you doing investigations. I don't mind that. But I do mind you coming after my rights. Oh, yeah. We're going to have a big problem if you do that. I do mind you pretending to be someone who cares about America, and then going back on that through your actions. I do mind you being a deceitful snake. I mind all that. Not saying that you're a snake. But I'm saying those who proclaim before be for rights and then an offer rights. It's never okay to take my rights away. Never, 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 never okay. I don't care who tells you that it is. It is never okay. It's not. So, <sighs> man. About to close, but still, I mean, we have to realize, guys, that what is happening to us as a nation, as an individual, as an America, is quite concerning to me. It's quite. Con- it should concern all of you. It, the left is not is not always our biggest threat. Sometimes we on the right are our biggest threats. Oh yes, sometimes we are. And so, what do we do? People ask. Well, very simply. Remember your values. Remember what you stand for. Remember what you labor for. Remember, remember all of it. Because if you don't remember all of it, or some of it. So Machiavelli said that the biggest hurdle to imprisoning a free people is that they will forever remember their ancient liberty. I'm paraphrasing, that's basically what he said. So the only decision, the only other alternative would be to kill them. Well, he meant in the physical sense, obviously. But you can be killed in your values. Your value, the, the So your values constitute and animate the person that you are. If someone kills your values, they can kill who you truly are. They don't have to take a sword or a gun to shoot you and kill you and you physically die. No, no, no. People are dying every day in America. They're dying silent deaths. Their bodies are still around. They're still breathing and living. But their values and who they are have gone down the wayside. So, if I can leave you with anything, my friends, don't let anyone kill your values. Emerson said, I will know a man by his work. I don't know you by your labels, I don't know you by your race, I don't know you by your sexuality. I don't know you by your gender, I don't know you by your political affiliation. I don't know you by any, I don't know you by the institution that you belong to. I know you by your work. do your work, do your work, do your work, and I shall know who you truly are. Do your work, everyone do your work, and I will know you will know more importantly who you truly are, but if you don't do your work. Not only will your values die a death and you will die a death, a silent death, a conceptual death, a spiritual death. Guess what? Guess what? Any action that you ever did in the past that reflected who you used to be before that death happened will also become ever obscured, obscured, and mystery, doubt, and scrutiny. And when you've lost your credibility at a fundamental level, you have nothing left. So don't do that, friends. Be good, be faithful, keep to your values, and love each other. Okay, guys? All right, I love all of you, my friends. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Pensive Politics, everywhere. But as always, my friends, as always, please think on what I said. And as always, please stay 110% pensive. Love all of you. See you later.